Welcome to BDO's Legal Tech Talk podcast. We're joined by judges and legal professionals to discuss emerging trends, regulatory updates, and the latest headlines. We'll provide tips to help your law firms and legal departments make the most out of legal tech. Hi, everyone. I'm Jared Crafton, BDO's Forensic Technology Practice Leader. And I'm Daniel Gold, BDO's Managing Director of the Enterprise eDiscovery Managed Services Practice. Let's get started with this episode's exciting topic. Welcome back to another edition of BDO's Legal Tech Talk podcast. Uh, we are excited today to be in the virtual recording studio with the one and only Nicole Teneo. We are thrilled to have you here. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here today. Well, this is great. We're excited to have you here. Uh, you have such a, a unique perspective, uh, legal technology. When Jared and I met you in Chicago a few months ago, we were we both walked away from that meeting saying, we got to hire on the podcast. But this is just, there's just no alternative here, right? And, uh, and, and so we are hoping out of this conversation that we have here today that, uh, you know, everyone has an opportunity to learn from you and your experience and, and your viewpoint you have on how to get better, right? When it comes to legal technology. So, uh, look, I could read your LinkedIn bio to everybody listening to the program right now, but honestly, I wouldn't be doing you justice. So if it's all right with you, Nicole, why don't you go ahead and let everybody know, you know, what you do, who you work for, a little bit about your background would be great. Sure. Absolutely. Um, my name is Nicole Teneo, and I have been in the legal tech industry for just over 25 years. Um, my mom was a paralegal and pulled me in as a young lad um, for every summer and spring break to come in and work at her law firm. Um, it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot and I'm here today because of it. I started out my career as a trial seat, a trial hot seat um, back in like 2003. And then I just kind of dove into e-discovery when it became a thing because Back then, it was all paper boxes, right? We were coding, biblical coding and stamping and, you know, back in the old days. So um, <laughs> I worked my way through the e-discovery realm, um, spent some time in D.C., made my way up to New York, and I was there for a while, um, all kind of living in the e-discovery space and figuring it out, right? Consulting with clients, consulting with attorneys. Um, I've had a blast in doing it. But also part of my um, experience in the industry has really been working with clients and attorneys in an advisory standpoint on kind of process improvement, e-discovery, best practices, um, different things like that. So it's been a fun journey so far. How would you describe your current role? You know, what are you bringing day to day now to the field? Everything. My current role. So right now I am a um, U.S. manager of our legal technology services at Quinn Emanuel. And so I am assisting our global director with our global expansion, which has been a lot of fun. Um, we've recently expanded into France and also Australia, and we've had a recent uh, presence past two or three years in, um, in London. So that's been a big overhaul, but a lot of fun. Again, just kind of like working with the rest of the firm, meeting new attorneys globally, um, and then also for our department, we pivoted from um, a previous document review platform to a current one. 
no names mentioned. And through that process, that's kind of a bit where my experience has been um, is in that platform. So I came in and really helped the firm just um, set best practices um, within that review platform, uh, processes, protocols, templates, different things like that, and just helping kind of educate the attorneys and then also our team. Nicole, going back to 2003, so you've been at this for a while, right? You, we, all, we all have. You know, one, of the, one of the cool things is that when Jared and I talk to folks, one of the things that we often recognize is that when we look back at all the folks that we, we talked to, like we started this industry, right? We did, right? We fell into it. It was by accident in the sense that we needed to create what this thing was that was called e-discovery. We needed to, right? I mean, I remember when my paralegal was taking the physical bait stamper and banging it on the desk. I mean, I had a migraine, yep. right? It turned, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, I had a migraine on days I had productions, right? Because that thing was banging away. But, you know, regardless, um, in since 2003, right, it's going to be a very softball-like question for you, Nicole, but what is the biggest change that you have seen? And, and it could be software. It could be the tech itself. It could be processes. What's the biggest change you've seen in legal tech? I'd have to say since then, tech aside is diversity and inclusion. Um, the industry is not where it needs to be yet, but the strides it has taken um, from 2003 to now is just vastly different. Um, it makes me happy it makes me excited to see where it's going. Again, we're not there yet, but between race and ethnicity, gender, age, disability, even geographic location, thinking on a global standpoint of who firms partner with or who clients use from a global perspective has just changed so drastically from then. So that's a great answer. What what are the drivers behind that? You know, it's been 20 years now that you've been in the industry. You know, what's what's driving that change? I think the people are and I think clients are. And, you know, sad to say, I think the clients have a bigger impact than the people. Um, there's the people in the industry who are trying to make the change. But I feel like when clients drive it through that RFP process to say, who's working on this matter, who's showing up in court, who's billing on this matter. They're really driving the diversity inclusion and making sure by following up on those bills that clients are doing what they or what law firms are doing, what they say they're doing in the RFP that they're really showing up. So I think that people try to drive the change, but the clients are really helping with the, you know, kind of with that adoption and with that change. Are you seeing more uh, the younger generation come in as well from a diversity standpoint as well and, and that folks are wanting to come into e-discovery that aren't the traditional you know mold of you know this is who a lawyer is or this is who a legal technologist is and this is the kind of background so like um, you're just Jared said your answer is amazing we haven't had that answer before and I love that answer um, actually yeah, in one of our other episodes uh, we we actually had, uh, Justice Kennedy uh, from New York Appellate uh, Court, she spoke about uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, actually in Jessica Boot over at Kindrel, another episode, she actually spoke about it, but but not speaking about it in the way that you did. And the way you're talking about it is so fascinating because it's like, this is the one of the things that's advancing us 
in technology and the legal profession, it's the it's the diversity of people, and I love that. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering about the younger generation coming in as well. Do you think that they are? Um, do you think that they're choosing to be here, or it's just you know someone else falling into e-discovery? I, it's still a mixture of both. Yeah. 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 And the people that that you and I don't know if there's any on your team, but the folks that are coming in or you're you're involved in the uh, community, folks that are coming in that you're seeing the younger generation that are choosing, is it because they're fascinated with legal technology? Is it they're fascinated with e-discovery or just they really like, you know, they like lawyers? I mean, I don't know if it's the latter. I know. And you know what? That was my reason for coming in. It was funny. I always say, like, I never wanted to be a lawyer, but I always want to work. Like, that's my enjoyment in life is working with attorneys and supporting them. Um, There's not many of me out there, though. I think I'm a weird kind of bucket. But um, I think for the people coming in, you do see a. Interesting of the people that come in, they either have a tech background or they came in because they were an attorney or they are an attorney, but they just don't want to practice anymore. They enjoy the tech side of it. And so they really want to be on that side. So I feel like you get a little bit of a combo of both. Well, I think all of us kind of fell into it. I mean, Nicole, you were pulled in by your mom, which is an interesting story. I was somewhat pulled in by my mom as well. And the fact that she worked at an accounting firm and then I went to go work at that accounting firm, but then I just fell into e-discovery because uh, it was there and I had technology skills. Um, but now I think at least we're seeing people get attracted to it just because it's a test bed for technology, right? It is now being known as a place where there's large data sets, there's interesting data sets, there's unstructured data, there's structured data. You can do a lot of cool things with. And I think we're starting to attract some of that talent now that there is podcasts. You know, there's other avenues to kind of ad- advertise that this data is out there. It's a way for you know, for the intellectually curious to get out there and to to play with some different technology and some different ideas. Um, are, are you seeing that at all, you know, in some of the talent that's coming in? It's much more appealing now than it was before. <laughs> <laughs> the boxes didn't appeal to people 20 years ago? Uh, and even e-discovery at the beginning, like everything was a manual process, of how you manipulated data. And now we have all these fancy tools and buttons that they can just press and it makes the job a little bit easier, but a lot more fun too. Um, so I think people absolutely see that they see the the technology that's out there, all the software that we have for legal automation and just where the industry is going in terms of AI. And I think that draws even more candidates into our industry. Based on what you said, Nicole, I mean, I feel like I might have set the trend years and years and years ago because I was that lawyer who was like, man, I, I don't want to be in practice anymore. I want to be a legal technology. Uh, so uh, I. I want to ask you, because you, in your role that you've got at the firm, your part of your role is really, you know, doing something that we do here at BDO, which is we really believe in empowerment through knowledge. We believe in being able to put people first and and, and help people thrive. And, and I see your role as not just a technologist, but I see your role really as, as an educator. And I have to imagine that your model of educating got flipped on its head when COVID hit. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, please? Sure. Um, Yeah, before COVID, I'm the type of person that I'm always in an attorney's office. I just kind of go down the hallway, say hi to everyone, pop in, ask how a case is going that I know they're working on, if they have any challenges, if they need help, or just to talk and have a conversation, right? Because we need that too. We need to step away from what we're working on in our screens 
to just have a conversation with someone. Um, so the education portion of that was much easier when you're in office. And then once we hit COVID, um, making those connections and having those conversations was much more challenging because you have the people dealing with the stress of that time um, of the last couple of years, right? So they don't want to be on a phone call. They don't want to be on Zoom. They don't want to show their camera. And so making connections with people is even harder. And I think that's where a lot of our kind of separation, anxiety, mental health issues came into play too, because we really isolated, right? So it's like, how do you get those people out of isolation so you can remake those connections and help them and educate them? Um, so just over the past couple of years, it's just really continuing to show up and to show up whether it's in their inbox or if it's on their phone. Um, I do a lot of online courses. We just finished an attorney training series here at Quinn. We're getting ready to do a global one as well, all virtual. Um, but it, again, it's educating our attorneys on um the platforms and the technology that they're using so they can be successful. It's following up to make sure that, you know, they have any feedback, what else is coming down the pipes. It's lunch and learns from your desk, emails on the inbox with, you know, a two minute snippet video that they can watch and come back to, or they can just watch when they want to, right? And they're not like tied to a specific time frame. So it's really being flexible and finding what works for them. And you just have to like navigate different avenues. I haven't done it yet here, but at some of my previous companies, I've had um, open office hours and I really enjoyed that too. Just like, hey, these days and times I'm going to be online. Here's my Zoom link. Pop on, ask me some questions, have a conversation. Um, and, you know, I never knew if somebody was going to show up or not, but they did. And it was a lot of fun. We just ended up like, you know, having conversation or diving into specific areas of tech. Um, and it was really good because other people in that open office hours also learn from the questions that they were asking because so many people are fearful of asking questions and there's really never a dumb question people say that over time and it's really the truth because even if it's a question that everyone should know or answer that doesn't mean that everyone in the audience knows the answer to it so you're helping educate others by even asking the questions that you may be embarrassed of so i really like the open office hours though that's great. I mean, it's you're educating. It sounds like there's probably a little bit of an aspect that's a little bit of being a saleswoman as well, right? Kind of sell them on this new technology. And, you know, I think the theme here is really relationship building, right? You're building relationships and bridges with the attorneys that you're serving and you're helping educate them. But, um, you know, I think a theme that's also coming across loud and clear through the microphone, through the video I'm looking at is you're clearly very extroverted, right? I think we're working in an industry where a lot of people who have your role are probably more on the introverted side. You know, what advice do you have for them who may be, you know, not as comfortable of, you know, setting office hours, having people just, you know, walk by without an appointment or, you know, stopping by attorney's office, you know, living in attorney's offices, like you said before, you know, what advice do you have for them to kind of maybe break out of their shells a little bit more and, and to build those relationships? Just to start to get comfortable, as long as, as, as soon as you start, as soon as you start empowering attorneys to know and understand technology, they'll come back to you for questions. And then you start building that relationship. And I love that because every time, a, you know, my attorney will have a call with a client and then I'll just kind of, you know, jump in. You need me on the call. Do you need me to prep you? Here's some information about the topic that you're covering. 
And you kind of like feed them that information. And if you're an introvert, you can do that, you know, through email. You can send them the links. You can, again, go back to the video. If you don't want to talk to them, send a little video because you can review it and redo the recording before you send it to them. So it at least allows a little bit of that flexibility. But if you're comfortable on email, stay in email. If you are not comfortable getting on the phone yet, bring in a buddy, right? I always tell my team, I'm just like, listen, if you're not comfortable talking to an attorney, get someone else on the team, get me, you know, on the team, on a call with them, we'll help you. Like if you're not comfortable with confrontation or complicated, you know, topic or something like that, just get someone else on the phone to help you, you know. I think people are also afraid to ask for help um, or to look like they don't know. I'm not. If I, if I need somebody else on the phone with me, I'll be the first one to say, hey, I am not well versed in this topic. Can you help on the phone with me to, you know, cover this this particular aspect of it? People are always willing to help you out. You just have to ask. Jared, I think I've met my match here. Uh, <laughs> you have an incredibly impressive uh, diversified portfolio of outreach. Um, it, it is it is very impressive. I'm curious, you have a really good example of someone you got from like, from you know, zero to hero, right? Didn't know anything. And all of a sudden, like, it's like magic, like they get it, right? Um, and the opposite where you just, you have someone who's just curmudgeon, just doesn't matter how many times, how many outreaches, right? Nothing happens. What do you do in those situations? So can you share an example for each? Sure. One of my favorite things to do, so I have my day job, right? And then, so that doesn't really enable me to work with attorneys as much as I want to for like one-on-one. And so I'll get a call that's like, Nicole, I'm kicking off, you know, technology assisted review or I wanting to use these analytics and I know nothing about it. And so, you know, I get on the phone with the attorney and we'll sit there, I'll sit there for an hour, two hours, however long you need me to, to get us to understand it. And we got to a point that both of us got stuck, actually. And I said, you know what? I'm going to bring on the platform expert. You know, one of the the consultants that works at the platform. I'll try not to say name. (laughs) Um, And I got them on the phone. It's not as easy as it seems. Um, I got that person on the phone. And you know what? They educated both of us. But that's the thing is that you got to put your ego down and, you know, bring in those other people because it's about the lawyer it's about the attorney that's being educated that they're properly educated rather than just me kind of like saying what i know or what i don't know um but at the end of that um effort she came out and she was just so stoked to use analytics on her for future cases and to really showcase the tools that she had to the partners and she's been extremely successful at it she's actually going for a certification and she's just she's really excelling so um I really enjoyed her journey and kind of just like watching from behind and watching her succeed. I think it's awesome. And that's what I want for all my other attorneys too, though. All the ones that I work with, I want them to have the same path. Like, let's make you shine and let's really like allow you to have the conversations that you need to with the partners or whomever that you're working with in order for you to like come to the table comfortable and confident because that's a that's a big part of our job too i feel like and lawyers is not having the technical knowledge or experience or expertise to come to a conversation with confidence it it takes a lot to get there i mean right now even with the whole ai discussions somebody opens that up with me and it's like talking about politics i'm like man if i say the wrong word 
if I say this, if I don't mention this tool, like I get a little nervous around AI discussions because I'm telling you, it's like a landmine with those conversations right now. But I think, will I get up to it? I hope so. I'm going to keep doing my, you know, my research and educating myself. But I think that's what everyone needs to do. Just educate themselves and have patience. But, you know, you can't ask chat GPT for talking points about chat GPT. <laughs> you know, I did that once. Actually, Jared, I, I actually asked, I was doing a CLE. And I, and so I asked chat GPT, I said, yeah, tell me more about yourself as if. Oh, yeah, I was, I've done as, that. But as if I was a first grader. It was, and, it, and it was such a cute response, Jared. It said, said, I'm like a friend of yours. Yeah. Well, that's how it gets you, you know, it pretends to be adorable and then it stabs you in the back. Well, you know, you know, you're talking about stabbing the back, Jared, but you know, but that does bring up, you know, the, the whole can of, you know, ethics involved too, right? About, by utilizing any legal tech. I mean, Nicole, how are you, how are you dealing with the ethical questions pertaining, not just, you know, there is the whole gen AI, I'm sure we'll get to that in just a moment, but other areas like, you know, conceptual searching and technology system review and, you know, analytic search engines. I mean, there's plenty of other AI that's out there that's currently available in multiple different e-discovery platforms. I mean, there's an ethical component of that, i.e. there is an attorney's ethical responsibility to know about the uh, risks and the benefits of relevant technology under, you know, the, the, the rules of professional responsibility, at least in 40 of the states and, and the model rules. Uh, then it says that, and they need to know that. And so I'm wondering, is that ever part of your talk track when you're speaking with the lawyers to say, hey, you know, you got to know this stuff. It's you're ethically bound to know this stuff. Right. I mean, that's a great question. It's not one that I touch on often because I'm more focused on the education component of it, because even if I'm on a call with them and I educate them, I will follow up with um, links to supporting materials to help them learn more. And if I know if they're prepping for a conversation with a partner or a client, I'll even send them an email that's kind of forward ready, if you will. So they can just copy and paste it and like send it along. But it, I think it's helping them. And I'm trying to, and, and maybe, you know, this definitely might be something that I need to start implementing in my conversations with them because I try to remove a lot of the pressure. And even though that does add some pressure to them, I think it's a positive and a good pressure to apply because that's what's going, that's what's going to protect them. And that's what I, I'm trying to do is protect them. Right. So I actually think that's a, a great thing that I should even be implementing in my conversations going forward. Are attorneys approaching you from that perspective? Like we have this ethical obligation and, and we need your help from this perspective. I'm just curious. I would say, I would say the, the, the boundaries of the conversation definitely fall within that yeah makes sense well and the good news is that what you've established is that you're really their partner right that they actually don't need to know the ins and outs yeah you need to know that exists right but you're there to help enable them to empower them to be successful in having conversations with the clients correct right. and and is that you and your team or is that is that what you do well, me and my team, our global director, as well as the rest of our team and the managers, we all get on the phone with the clients, the, the, uh, the attorneys and have these conversations. And we also empower our team to do that. We're really trying to educate our team 
so everyone is well versed in those conversations. But I mean, sometimes I have to say you get into such deep conversation on even email threading and there's a lot of trickery in email threading. Right. And so it's how you explain what your process is and what that actually means in terms of your results. That's very important. So it's a whole lot to learn. So we do have people on their team who are specialized in certain areas that even sometimes I go to, they're my go-to person to say, hey, you jump on this call with me, they're going to ask a lot of difficult questions and they're prepared for it. So we're, a lot of people are kind of picking up and learning as they go, but they really have that core e-discovery knowledge that they can get on the phone with any attorney and just kill it. It's like there's a lot of trust there amongst the team, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. The team's been, um, they've been with the firm, a lot of them 15 years, the majority of them 10 to 15 years. So they really have the institutional knowledge and built the relationships. And I've only been uh, with the firm for just over a year now. So it's been really cool to come into a firm where they already have these relationships established um, and to see such a, you know, rock solid team. I've always kind of been on the opposing party of this firm. And so it's really interesting to be in it now because we always wanted to beat them before and like polls and productions and stuff like that. And so now if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and Nicole, you mentioned a mental health a while ago. Now, this is a very stressful business, obviously, and there's tremendous demands being put on, you know, the litigation department, the lit support folks, the technology folks. You know, what are some of the strategies that you employ, you know, when people are feeling overwhelmed, when they're feeling stress? You know, how do you help manage the team through that? Um, that's another thing that I really liked with joining our team too. Um, being the beast that our firm is, it is extremely challenging to create that balance, right? The firm is very supportive. They have the people in place. They have the resources and the tools in place in order to help anyone going through, you know, um, with their health and wellness, let's just say. Um, For me personally, with my team and then also with the other managers and again, our global director, they're very um, aware, again, open Zoom policy, we'll jump on a phone with you, we'll give you resources, what do you need, do you need time off? And we really try to have those conversations with everyone to make sure that they don't get to the point of burnout. We're very aware of the hours that they're working and we have the conversations to say, work this many hours, you know, do we need to do a workload, uh, workload? reevaluation or anything like that. And I think it's the responsibility of whether your managers, directors, leadership, whoever it is, to be aware of that because the level of burnout that you get as legal professionals and then also as lawyers is beyond anything that I've seen before. And I've been in this um, a, a different community, an online community, and I hear their conversations, legal and procurement, and I hear their conversations about health and and wellness and i'm just like wait this doesn't exist anywhere like other places is this just legal like what we go through and endure on a daily basis and we choose to be in this industry like i hear about theirs and they're telling stories that are are like you know rainbows and unicorns and i'm like really your leadership just like they really they really are invested in the health and well-being of their their team. And I love to see that. And I just, I really wish and hope for our industry that one day it'll get like that. But again, it's not, it, there's, there has to be a big impact and big change in order to, to really make that change. Um, 
But another thing that I do for our team, I like it just because, again, I'm big into health and wellness. Um, I do like a, I, I try to do it on a biweekly basis, but I'll send out a like a wellness email, just kind of thinking of ways to, you know, whether you're doing meditation or ways to take a break, ways that you can set boundaries and kind of like reset yourself in a stressful situation. How do you deal with conflict? Different things like that. And I just try to go through um different iterations of advice that I can give them and whether they take my email and delete it or they store it for another day to say, you know what, Nicole's email didn't hit home before, but it is now and they go back and read it. Whatever I can do to prevent them from having burnout or getting to a state of depression or mental, like, you know, mental health issues, I will do. It is so refreshing to hear you say all this. Um, I might take you up on uh, I might copy you if you allow me to your 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 well biweekly wellness email. I like that. Uh, the team knows I'm a big fan of of mindfulness and, and meditation as well, and it's so important. Uh, it's the one thing that you can do. It takes ten minutes to do it, right? Just to be able to clear your head, breathe, focus on your breath. You're not alone in talking about this, right? So one of our other guests we had on the podcast, uh, Christine Payne, she talked a lot about the health awareness as well and the committee that she had formed uh to talk about this she approaches it from this uh mind and budget uh perspective and and i love the perspective that she's got on this i'm curious one of your perspective one of the things you said was so key and you said that you know we need to be able to change in this industry right because it is absolutely an issue right burnout is a hundred percent a real thing so i'm curious what do you think needs to change in order for there to be like this tipping point where now we're like, hey, you know what? It really does make sense to take, you know, 10 minutes out and focus on our breath. Or maybe, you know, we don't actually have to answer emails at three o'clock in the morning and that production can wait until 8 a.m. This isn't going to be a favorable response. Um, but unless you're honest, change will not happen, right? Um, it needs to come from leadership. It needs to come from the partners. And, 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 it, it just doesn't come from budget and saying, okay, we'll, we'll, you know, take a portion out of this, you know, bucket and put it into health and wellness. It really comes from the partners driving it. It comes from leadership driving it. It's just not like we have this available. It, it's really hard to say we have these resources available, but I want you to work on this for the next four days and not sleep. Um, not being seeing the signs and not having the conversations. Um, one thing that I wish they would teach in law school right before they get out during the whole time in law school, I don't care when it is, but being mindful of your mental health because I think what happens, and again, I'm not an attorney, but what I've seen happen is attorneys get out of law school, they pass the bar, or you know, they're just you know working in whatever capacity and. They get in it, they think everything's going to be roses, and then they start hitting reality. And whether you can handle the stress your first first year, the first five years, you will get to a point in your career that is going to bring on the stress. And if you don't know how to be aware of your mental health, and you don't know how to prevent yourself from getting into a depressed state or not handling it in the right way, it's going to catch up to you. And then you're going to get to the point that says, wow, I am just like, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how I'm this upset. And then you burnt out and 
you're just in a sometimes unrecoverable state. And then people upset the industry. And it's like that we need to do a better job of educating the legal professionals and the attorneys entering the market. And then also the attorneys that are already in the market to understand mental health issues and how we can prevent that from happening. So I'm sorry, I kind of went on a tangent there, but I'm so very passionate about that. And there's so many resources and I feel like they're not said enough. I feel like you, you get hired at a firm, you're seven years in, you know, eight years in, maybe you don't make partner and you've had this expectation. How do you handle that? Where do you go? What's my path? Do I have mentorship? Do I have resources? And like, I feel like it's not said enough. I almost think that that needs to be a continuous conversation of what are our resources, especially things like, I don't know if I can say this, but I'm definitely going to give them a shout out, is the Lawyer's Assistance Program, because I think it's really important that the state-by-state support hotline, and I, I feel like legal professionals and lawyers get to a place that they say, I can't speak up about this, and you can't on a hotline. You know, you could jump on that hotline and have a secure and private conversation, and I think that's really important for everyone to know, so... Well, I think that's wonderful. I mean, do you find attorneys coming to you for advice when they don't have anywhere else to go? Sometimes. I think sometimes I've definitely built relationships because I, I, I press those conversations. You see when they get to that kind of stressful point or I know we're all up against the same deadline and I go by the office, hey, you want to go grab a coffee? I'm going to go grab a coffee. It's not pointing it out. It's recognizing it and finding ways to creatively take them out of that moment and maybe talk about things that I'm doing, right? So like, man, I've had a stressful stressful week. I started meditating. This is how it's made me feel better. This is how it's changed. And sometimes people will just pick up on that. Or sometimes, you know, you can just drop little hints and little bombs of ways that I'm either doing something or somebody else's that will make them think, hey, maybe I should try that because I'm sitting at my desk completely stressed out about this deadline. Maybe I should take a minute to meditate or Google what that means, you know? It's uh. Yeah, I, I want to uh, harken back to what you said about the lawyer's assistance program, right? That's a really good point. And I, and I feel like it's it's worthy of putting even in the podcast notes as well, that to be able to put the uh, information in there. Most states, almost I think every state uh, has a lawyer's assistance program. It's an 800 number uh, and they help not just lawyers, by the way, they help judges, they help law students and other legal professionals uh, with mental health issues. And, and, you know, and I think that I have hope, Nicole. You are very passionate about this topic, and I love that. And and I have hope that we are getting there just the way that we have evolved as far as who is involved in e-discovery. You mentioned it before. You're very passionate about diversity, equity, inclusion, and we're seeing a change, right, with technology. We're seeing a change in workflows because we're welcoming diversified views, right, which is a massive change from 20 years ago, right? Um, and now I feel like I think we're gonna I think we're gonna break that barrier, right? And I think that. One of the things Jared and I have done is is find individuals that come onto this podcast who are passionate about this topic, who will talk about it. And we have a lot of listeners who are going to listen in and hear about the different views on what are the things that we can do differently? What do we can do better? And man, I would love for law schools, in, in addition to teaching practicals, uh, 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 what real life looks like for a lawyer, uh, also talk about the mental health issues as well. I mean, I think that's a phenomenal point. Uh, because it is part of the real world of being a lawyer. Uh, you know, having gone through three years of law school, I could tell you that what the biggest benefit is, if I'm going to date myself, if you remember the Paper Chase uh, TV series, uh, you know, your mind goes in like mush. Uh, you know, it's all, 
No, all right, sorry. It's all right. So this show in the nineteen eighties, guys. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, you know, so they so anyway, it was a it was a great program. But they say you know your mind goes in like mush, and you leave thinking like a lawyer, right? And and that's really what law school does. Uh, but I'm thankful that there's a lot of law schools like the one around the corner from me. You know, they are teaching practical things like e-discovery, uh, and so there's practical steps. But you're right. The more the more tools in the toolbox, the more successful we can become. And Think we got a lot of hope for the uh, for the future generations. I, I mean, so. twenty years ago, we weren't having any of these conversations in any workplace scenario, not just the legal industry, right? And so, I think it does point to some progress. Obviously, we have a, a long way to go. I think, but you know, we I think we're all making progress, right? I agree. All right, Nicole, this is your big opportunity here as we uh, as we get to the tail end of our uh, our episode here. John and I probably could have you here for hours. Uh, but, uh, is there anything that you wish that, uh, that you haven't said already that you would like others to know about to, in order to be successful in legal technology, to be successful in the legal profession? I'm going to say this because I've learned it myself. Check your ego at the door, show up for other people, be a great human and treat other people the same way and just leave a legacy that you're proud of. Like that's what we're all here to do, right? Leave a legacy that you're proud of and that you can look back on and say, even if I didn't make a change or if I didn't make a wave, I was a pebble in the sand and I made a change, you know, I tried or I impacted one person's life. That's just, that's kind of my goal is how I can just kind of like throw in another pebble to to change somebody's life and through that you really have to have humility you have to have passion um and excitement just the love for people that's really really what it comes down to law is so difficult because we're bred in an industry that has opposing parties and that is built around an argument right and so it's really finding compassion and grace in love within this industry to really still treat each other like humans and help each other out rather than bring each other down. So what a message. Now I mean like <laughs> it's it's remarkable that you've rendered me speechless, Nicole. Uh no, I honestly I mean, gosh, uh, what a what a way to end this episode, Nicole. I mean I'm flat footed now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I do yeah. love it. I love being here and I'm really grateful for being on the podcast today too. And to meet you guys at the conference a few months ago um, and Stephanie as well, it was just, I had a great conversation with you guys. And that's what I love about the industry too. Whatever the topic is, is really in a very positively say, in a, you know, geeking out with somebody else, whether it be about legal tech, whether it be about, you know, law, whether it be about just us people in the industry and going talking about back in the paper days, it's amazing. Like stop and talk to people. And this is awesome. I got to meet you guys out of it. It's great. That's another perk to being an extrovert because I've never always been this way. So I'm definitely, you know, with that expansion, I need to meet people like you. Well, the feeling is certainly mutual. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Nicole Taneo, that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us on BDO's Legal Tech Talk podcast. If you're enjoying these podcasts, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe for more episodes. Head over to BDO.com for a list of all our episodes, transcripts, resources cited, and links on how to get in touch with us and continue the conversation. 
Until next time, this has been another episode of BDO's Legal Tech Talk.